to Pod on the Dog, episode 10. I'm delighted to say that it's now brought to you by Natural Instinct. And I have a special discount code for you. How amazing is that? What a fabulous sponsor. I'm so grateful. Now, Natural Instinct, like myself, understand how vitally important your dog's diet is and how it's such a big contributor to the overall health and well-being of your dog. And they can offer a no-stress, no-mess, convenient way of feeding a complete raw diet, which for a busy mama like me is exactly what I need. So you just enter discount code Verity15 at the checkout to receive 15% off. That's capitals, Verity15. Now, I'm your host, Verity Hardcastle. You can find me at Verity Hardcastle on Instagram to follow all the latest shenanigans in dogdom. Joining me this week is a man known in the dog world for his calm and gentle demeanor around dogs. He is the Zen master who's shown such tenacity to achieve everything that he has after leaving home with only his dog for support. This grooming superhero is a huge promoter of education and loves a heavily coated dog. The longer the hair, the better for this guy. And although we knew each other from the dog circuit, we really got to know each other really well on the set of Pooch Perfect and have since become really good friends. He's one of the kindest men in the industry and someone I would 100% entrust with one of my poodles. It's Lucky Tyndall. <laughs> Hi there. Thank you very much for that introduction. I'm blushing now. It's quite long, wasn't it? <laughs> So I ask everybody to grab a drink for the podcast record. What have you got with you? I've got a naughty Dr. Pepper. Nice. Well, it's six o'clock here. We're recording. And if you hear any screaming and chaos, it's because I've left my husband to put my kids to bed. So great. for me. I'm enjoying a beer and talking to Lackey. (laughs) Or it could be my parrot in the background. So no children being harmed. It's it's, it's... (laughs) not safe. So, Lucky, first question, where did your love of dogs come from? And did you grow up around dogs? Um, It's really strange. A lot of people have memories of their childhood. I don't have many. Uh, I don't know if it's amnesia from shock or from leaving home. But I always remember having a love for animals. And one of the most embarrassing moments my mum would always mention at parties was when I was about four years old, I used to go around... I went to the doctors in the waiting room. I was going to all the old ladies saying, my mum's buying me a donkey, you know, for Christmas. (laughs) So from that moment on, it was just obsessed with animals. I think it started, I had a book given to me and there's all these weird and wonderful animals in there. I thought one day I'm going to have one of each of these, you know, obviously not realising you can't keep an elephant in a house. So, but my dad grew up with dogs and my grandfather was very much an animal lover. He was like um, a village vet, um, back back in India um so everybody respects him for his knowledge and welfare of animals but I think mm-hmm. it skipped a generation with my dad and um I think we grew up with rabbits budgies various small pets as we were growing up but my first proper dog was uh, a white German shepherd when I was seven years old and uh we had to go on hunger strike to to get that put you know research everything we could promise that mm-hmm. we'll take get up at seven in the morning so that was my first very own sort of well what we say family dog but my own that I looked after was a white German Shepherd and that's where my my love of GSD sort of like started from but I know my father grew up around Irish wolfhounds and bullseyes so uh, there was something in the past there. Yeah obviously I think I think it's nature and nurture isn't it it's definitely in my blood as well. This is it this is it yeah. I, was, I was always one of those kids I mean you you don't do it these days but I used to walk up to every dog 
Mm. That was all tied up outside. And, and growing up during the 80s, there were a few stray dogs around in those days. Neutering wasn't a high priority, but uh, I remember doing newspaper rounds and a, and a pack of six dogs always following me around because I always carried treats. <laughs> and I remember one instant where one black Labrador ended up jumping on my leg and humping me. And I, and I thought he was attacking me because I was only a child at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the post running down helped, helped him off him, helped him off me and as I cycled off I remember looking back laughing with the Labrador attached to the postman's leg then then I went on to volunteer at the RSVCA kennels in Derby uh, which I did for years you know mainly in the small animal section because obviously you have to be a certain age dealing with dogs mm. but uh, I was allowed every now and then in the puppy room and the amount of times I was tempted to take one back in my rucksack so but it all starts off with my white German Shepherd that's where my trip started you know, that was one of my first jobs as well, Lucky. I worked in the kennels and we had we were an RSPCA sort of boarding shelter for cats. So I did Lovely. a lot of looking after of the, the cats. It was great. Yeah. And that's I true. obviously ended up taking them home with me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where you learn the dedication, the early mornings, the mucking mm-hmm. out. It's not nowadays I think people I always used to believe that a dog it's a privilege, not a right. Whereas nowadays, I think a lot of people think the dogs are right and it's not, you know, you've got to be 100% dedicated to them. Yeah. So. There's a lot more en- emphasis now as well as them being sentient beings and, you know, understanding they have emotional welfare to look after as well, isn't there? So I think things are changing. Yeah, definitely. Now you're named the Zen master. You channel that calm energy so, so well. Why is it so important when dealing with dogs to have this energy and this really calm mindset? And do you have any tips for the listeners on how to find their inner calm when dealing with dogs, especially the ones that have been monkeys that can test our patience a little? Yes, definitely. Um, I think it all came naturally because I didn't have any official training at the beginning, but I studied dogs a lot, you know, visually, behaviorally. I used to watch them, you know, work in packs. Um, I watched my own because we got a second dog uh, a year later. I mean, what's the interaction with them? And it kind of comes naturally. I I, I went to a lot of training classes when I was a, a child. We, were, we joined the Midland County German Shepherd Dog Association. And there was an amazing trainer where my love of Afghans came. He had a German Shepherd and Afghan hound. And I fell in love with those hounds when I saw that. But mm-hmm. there it taught me a lot. You know, you saw so many people shrieking at their dogs you know, in those days we used choke chains, everybody's yanking on their dogs, you know, yeah. and I myself, you know, how would you like that? Now, how are you going yeah. to learn? And I think my parentage was a bit like that. It was always harsh. Um, it was yeah. in a way you have to do well. Don't let the team down. Don't disappoint your parents. And I kind of felt a bit like one of those dogs, you know, constantly being chastised. Being rag- ragged around with the choke chain. Is it? So I thought to myself, you know, always a calm, calm, calm approach, you know body language i don't talk to my dogs a lot you know you hear a lot of people go good boy good girl sit sit stay there no no don't do this don't stand that and it's like children they get deaf to all that noise yeah you're you know, totally right i mean with my pack i mean i've got quite a large pack a lot of my work for them is hand signals gestures calm voices yes if there's a little bit of a scuffle or a scrap my voice um, raised is enough to stop them in the tracks because I very rarely do that, you know. But in the grooming environment, I feel sorry for the anxious, nervous dogs that constantly pull away with their legs. And there's, I always say, my first um, slogan is, there's always a groomer for every dog out there. If you can't manage it and you feel yourself getting all right, then stop grooming that dog. Yeah. You know, on the floor, have a break. If it still doesn't work, then 
you know, find, you know, multi, a multi-groomer salon. But I always say go with the dog. You know, mm-hmm. you see so many people with leg pullers that they keep pulling the dog back towards them. Why? Yeah. Go towards the dog. Let them get to a point where they're comfortable leaning against the wall or, you know, sitting or down. Or leaning in you, into you. Exactly. You know, a lot of the approaches I do is from behind. You know, dogs don't seem to mind that, but face-on can be a confrontation. Yeah. Um, you know, my best tricks for scissoring uh, tap dancers is to hold the opposite leg up. Yeah. You know, use blenders or chunkers on the inside of the leg so you don't leave choppy marks, you know, if the dog's a bit for fidget. But yeah. one of the best things I use is I support a puppy around the rear end between the back legs and lift it slightly off the ground. So both his front legs, I mean, we're talking about two centimetres off the table. Yeah. And they all miss it into you then. And then you can have your other hand free to sit in the front legs without them tap dancing, laying down. And, you know, we've all got those uh, dogs that drop to the table and don't want to stand up again. Yeah. Um, people end up belly straps, hammocks pulling them up yeah, not for uh, me, no. it's a tug of war and I always say you know put your hand under them gently tickle them always tickle them if you watch me groom with an anxious dog my fingers are always working I'm under their undercarriage give them a little stroke little tickle so it distracts them from what I'm doing with their legs and to be honest with you dogs like that aren't going to be perfect we shouldn't strive for perfection with dogs like that we should try and do the best job we can do with what yeah. we give them and the main thing is don't talk a lot. Stay calm. I mean, dogs can sense fear on your breath as well. So, you know, in the early days when I used to deal with aggressive Yeah, and dogs, they can feel, you know, that, you know, if you're getting a bit wound up, they can feel that energy too. Exactly. And, you know, one thing I was taught by an animal behaviorist was to suck mints when dealing with an anxious dog. Yeah, 100%. I was taught, I yeah. was taught that as well. Yeah. I, I feel yeah, like when I tell people that, Lucky, I feel like, is this actually a thing? Because I feel like I've been told no, by a few old I mean, school people and then yeah, no one no one knows what I'm on about. <laughs> no, no, they can they can sense they can sense the adrenaline on your breath, etc. You know, wear wear a strong perfume, you know, if if you're into that sort of like sort of sweaty, panicky mode. Things like, you know, just rookie mistakes. Like if you've got a nervous dog, I try not to create them. I leave the lead on them with the lead trailing because we were taught that at training if you've got a confrontational dog that goes on the sofa you can't get it off always leave a lead on it so you've got something at a distance you've got to grab hold of and leave yeah. the dog away um you know dogs like that we don't tend to create or if we do we have the lead hanging on the outside so we've got something to hold off you yeah know, it's lots of approaches and it's always a sideways glance i give them always sort of crouch down beside them mm. never face on and a lot of young groomers that i teach you know i have to constantly i mean i love them all to bits but they're on their knees, come on, baby, come on. And it's intimidating. You know, yeah. you're up there or you're reaching down to them. Don't, you know, make yourself exciting. Move away from, them. come on, good boy, what have I got here? Rustle a bit of sweet paper or something, you know, get their interest. Don't just go in and grab a dog. You know, and it's little things like don't be staring into the dog's eyes while you're calling it over, you know. Yeah, I always allow for my first grooms and probably especially extra time, a little bit like you saw in Pooch Perfect, where mm. I let. I let the pup lay down on his own blanket. I bring they get the owners bring any toys that they're used to, and I'll sit down with them for 10, 15 minutes and just get them to you know, come towards me. Nothing yeah. worse than dog straight in into a new situation where it's never been to you before and it goes straight in the bathtub. You know, I always make that time to get to know the dog and then gently coax it. Off we go into the bathtub and away we go. You know, yeah. I always say like this, if you're late for a, for a birthday party or wedding and you're flustered, you get out the car, you know, run in there, you know, you're in a panic. Whereas, you know, if you get there in time, sit down, relax, you know, say hello to a few people, you're in a much more better frame of mind for a situation like a big party or a wedding. And it's like, like with dogs, you know, you don't, they've been on a stressful car journey. Most dogs don't travel in cars unless they're going to a vets or a groomers. Yeah. So their anxiety level's already up there. They come to the groomers. And the next thing you know, they're straight in the bath, big dryers and blasters, given time. 
you know, everything at their own pace. Yeah. But you're definitely right about finding the right groomer for the dog as well, because especially if you've got a more nervous dog, it's um, maybe not the best setup where you're chopping and changing like a different bather and dryer to groomer. This is it. I mean, I, I'm always turning dogs away or I'll assess the dog and say, it's not the right environment. You need a mobile groomer, in-house groomer. Your dog's far too nervous to be in an environment with other dogs and other groomers. Mm-hmm. You know, we suffer, you know, high velocity dry seizures, you know, and a lone groomer will be perfect for that dog. But, you know, if it comes to us and it suffers it, if we blast another dog in the other room, it will trigger it, even though you're not drying that dog. So that's why we say, you know, work with the owners, be mm-hmm. honest and never, ever blame the dog. It's never the dog's fault. You know, it's a situation... Yeah in um i hear a lot of people the dog was this and the dog was that it's not that you know i like it to being on an alien planet and people trying poking and prodding us and we don't understand what they're doing we'll be terrified and dogs are the same you know for one thing most of them aren't used to height so they're put on a high table mm-hmm. then we got loud voices like clippers and you know dryers etc so yeah the- i mean let's even with the cockapoo i mean how often are they upon a table or even carried around they're not well, really this is it. are they I mean, I- Exactly. And that's why I train all my owners from day one to do any brushing on a rubber car mat on the work surface or on a table, you know, put a lead on them so they're not going to jump off, you know, pop your hand under their tummy, give them a gentle brush for 30, 40 seconds. Good boy, good girl, down they go again and gradually build it up. You know, things like battery operated toothbrushes, you can buy them from most supermarkets for children for about three, four pounds. Yeah, I, recommend yeah. All, yeah, I recommend all puppy owners buy those and gently brush around their eye area, around their feet with those. So they get the use of the buzzing, vibrating sensation. All these little things help uh, from having shy puppies. And we're kind of still working with the first lockdown because we had a lot of puppies that were just literally inwards. You know, they wouldn't go near anybody because all they've known is their owners. They're mm. not been allowed to go for puppy sessions, etc. So it's it's killed us getting those dogs to a point where they accept grooming. And I don't ever want to go through that again. So that's why we always equip our puppy owners with techniques you can use at home. Yeah. And the one hand on the dog method is something that I do. It's, yeah. it's become habitual behavior for me. Mm. I do it without even thinking. So I've always got that connection. I can, it's there for reassurance for the dog, but it also, I can anticipate movement and, um, and it's just that calming hand on the dog all the time. This is it. You can suddenly feel them tense up if they don't like anything. And you know that there's snap coming or, you know, you can read a lot. Yeah. Of and then you can read it all through those micro movements and then you can, you know, adjust. Okay. Okay. It's fine. Before that dog reacts, we're going to just move on to the back leg do a bit over there because I don't want the dog to get to the level where they're going to react, outwardly react. This is it. You want to catch it just before they react. So it's always a positive experience. I mean, dry, drying is the most stressful thing for most groomers and dogs, you know, yeah. that aren't into grooming. And, you know, I always say, you know, blow dry. There's no net reason. I mean, when I started grooming, we virtually blow dried everything. The blasters were awful in those days. They didn't do anything. So, you know, you're there with a Pyrenean Mountain dog with your two stand dry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hours later but you know i, I always with a stand dryer that's like a little puff of wind <laughs> i could you know sometimes i've got elderly dogs or puppies that are you know absolutely terrified of being held in the dryer approaching them so i'll pop them in an open puppy pen and put the stand dryer lukewarm above them so it gently blows on them they get accustomed to that then i'll move them onto my lap give them a cuddle and blow dry brush at the same time and then eventually move onto the table so it's not a shock to their system but mm. i think anybody who thinks that you can just blast every dog you know it's not the case you know, you have to tailor it for each, you know, we certainly don't um, use our big blasts on puppies, you know, we introduce them very, very gently, you know, because like I said on the show, you know, it's 15 years plus of grooming that dog's life. You want to make it, you know, positive and the dog enjoys coming in. 
Well, the biggest game changer for me, Lackey, was I got a variable speed blaster. Yes. And it has a heat element and it turns all the way down. I this had um I've had other blasters before, like other makes that were so powerful. I mean they would they were so powerful they'd blast a Yorkie off the table. It's too much. Yeah. But this is what I say to my students, don't go for anything just on and off or one or two speed. I've got dial on all of mine that you can yeah, turn right. It's amazing. It's- the best thing because you can literally have a puppy in your arms one hand have it on the lowest speed and from a distance gently blow their face and you know puppy coats dry quite quickly anyway mm-hmm. um you know and it's it's almost like you know going in a basket on a bicycle ride or having the head stuck out in a car rather than something so loud like a you know industrial vacuum oh, yeah so and it means you can turn it up a little bit near the rear end and then as you're moving towards the front end i'm turning it down and turning it down so it's not so take the nozzle off for the head you know yeah. so it's just yeah flowing you know another thing i always say to people don't use a condenser cone the round cone always use a flat spade you know because it spreads the coat out and what i found with the condenser nozzle a with smaller breeze they can bruise the skin they're very prone to bruising mm-hmm. uh, because you feel the power of that you know yes they're designed those cones are designed for large double coats but even those i won't use them on i'll use a flat spade i only have I've, i think i've even chucked mine away i just use yeah, the flat head on all on yeah. my blaster for everything yeah. a it's safe B, and it doesn't cause whip knots no this is the main thing i mean you see beginner groomers and say oh this, i did a bearded collie and it's in a mess you know i remember getting a photo of an afghan hound that somebody used the cone not ah! not a, exactly and i cried i said right back in the bath lots of conditioner and you're gonna have to spend the next four hours gently teasing those yeah because whip knots are like nothing else yeah aren't they this is this is why you know i'm in some ways my students are lucky because they deal with a lot of like drop coats and we talk about that so i can hand on heart say you know scissoring i think comes with experience but i know they're going out into the world you know safe and I know the dogs are going to be safe. And that's that's my mantra. You know, I, I want to, I want little mini me's around the country, you know, being being gentle with the dogs, you know, anticipating the next move, you know, and, yeah. and being communicative with them. You know, just an animal on the table. It's somebody's beloved pet, you know, and you've got to make sure that they're absolutely 100% safe in your care. Well, while we're talking about the long silky coat, how do you maintain the likes of a coat of an afghan i mean they're known for their beautiful flowing locks and obviously i've heard you refer to them as their hair being like strands of gold so tell me what tools products you would recommend for protecting well, those all, golden strands <laughs> first of all you must not have a life as i experienced <laughs> <laughs> just it is literally having a high maintenance wife having an afghan <laughs> so, yeah yeah but no um it's an adage very similar to poodle show top knots you never dry brush an afghan you know, yeah. if it's brushing, it needs bathing. Yeah. More so with Afghans through coat change. I mean, their coat change feels like it lasts forever. It can last up to 18 months. And I remember my pups literally every three days bath and blow dry because overnight armpit knots would appear. You know, there's lots of products out there. Um, it's difficult to recommend because obviously, you know, the lighter coats, lighter coated Afghans have got a more delicate coat. The darker blacks have more of a stronger coat. So, you know, yeah. what works does it work on another but the main yeah. thing you must always remember is condition heavily mm. you know leave I, it in right do you leave yeah. it in well i in between shows i used to lightly rinse out if it was safe to leave in so it was when the water turned opaque not completely clear that mm. i knew that was enough and i left that in for a main to put for show obviously you've got to rinse all the product out but you've you got to use like an oil spray to maintain as well in between uh, it can from their pores up and what i find is a sad area becomes very very flaky um oh, so right. i tend to use 
light oil based conditions that you can rinse out, uh, but try and avoid silicon. I mean, silicon is amazing for one off um, mm. matted areas. You know, that, that's absolutely brilliant, but try and avoid that because it just literally makes a hair brittle. I suppose um, you can't really use like a clarifying shampoo on that type of no. coat, really, I should imagine, to strip all it's, that oily co- product out. Yeah, coconuts or palm oil based mm. shampoos, anything that moisturizes. You know, I mean, I even use like, you know, the VO5 hot oil treatments. I used to use that oil sometimes rubbed in my hands, just run mm. through the coat. You know, it really helps, you know, repair some of the damage. Um, but the, the main thing with an Afghan, the, the dematting is done when they're wet, which is very unusual. Mm. Most people blow dry the knots out or you, as you dry, you get the knots out. So what I necessarily say is the best method, well, for me it was, was shampoo, condition. And before you rinse the conditioner off, you can see with most wet coats, the matted areas, they're like cotton wool. Oh, and then work it in the bath. And then you start from the very ends and gently split them into smaller mats, then use a pin brush and put your palm underneath the mat and gently work away the pin brush. And they will come out quite easily, but they won't if you dry the dog. The main problem with these guys is, you know, normal life. And they do have a normal life. You know, I remember spending half an hour every time we come back to the park because they brought brambles home with them, oak leaves, you know, even co- um, pine cones stuck in their coats. But a light mist of conditioning spray and they just slide out. You don't want to be tugging leaves and twigs out of them. Yeah. And I actually shampoo and condition an afghan with all the leaves and twigs in them. And then once they're conditioned, they're standing in the bar. Rather than pulling them out dry, yeah. Yeah. Every time pull, yeah. Every time you pull a twig out, you pulling out four or five hairs with it. And over time, I mean, if a clipped Afghan, if, if you clipped an Afghan down, it takes up to four years for the coat to go back fully, if it if it ever grows back properly. Yeah. So that's to preserve that hair, you know, so. My last Afghan coat question is, um, do you wrap the hair? No. I. Some people do for a show, but I found it can cause more damage. I mean, literally within hours. They're very agile, mobile dogs and running around and a tiny bit of dampness in there. But what we tend to do is band them. Mm. You can't band them. So with, with the males, with my boy, I used to band around the groin area, mm-hmm. took up. So when he cocked his leg up, he didn't peel over. He wasn't his breaking under. that hair, yeah. You see that with the American cockers as well, don't you? This is it, ears banded as well. But most of the time, like poodles, when it comes to sort of travelling, going out for walks, feeding, mm-hmm. we use snoots. Um, the difference is we we get blingy sequin ones for our Afghans. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not, they're not just functional; they're they're fashionable. Um, <laughs> of course, the, you can get things like all-in-one suits, leg protectors. I mean, my girl had an all-in-one suit, and the biggest problem with bitches is when they squat, their hocks can get soaked in urine, and which mm. you know yourself can rot the coat. Yeah, uh, so my garden was specifically designed for Afghans, where they had an exercise area that was gravelled with fencing around it, so all the people and poops are done there so it disappears straight into the gravel and then when they've done that they could go into the rest of the garden so yeah that's it, what i do and also that means that all the poop and pee is confined to not being like little droplets all over my whole garden is, yeah they're not they're not very sort of they're sight hounds but they can miss a poop when they're herring around that garden and the last thing you want <laughs> is an afghan because they can be clumsy sometimes slip on yeah. a poop land in it which has happened no. to me a few times so <laughs> You're a groomer, groomer trainer, you show dogs and you also take part in grooming competitions. Which element do you enjoy the most and why? Um, I would say the training now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of lost my competitive edge now. I don't know if it's lockdown or anything. I'm not saying I've retired, um, but I always set myself goals. 
you know, like, I'd love to win that class. I'd love to win Best in Show. And I've ticked all those boxes as I've gone along. And to me, being a Sagittarian, I love challenges. And when I've completed that challenge, it's boring to me now. You know, I want to, I want to move on to, on to the next. Yeah. So my boys, you know, both of my champions, I've still got the little white toy. Whether I'll continue showing him fully, I don't know. You know, I think lockdown's made everybody contemplate a lot of things, including, you know, £5,000 a year in entry fees and petrol and hotels. So, um, but I do, my absolute passion love is teaching, especially improver courses where you've got an existing groomer that's struggling, you have them in for a day or two, and just to see them excel, you know, little things just make them fall in love with grooming again because yeah basic you've seen as well in all the groups you know most groomers within six months give up you know because they feel almost yeah. like what they're doing or they have other correct training and you know a lot of it is on their own shoulders as well you know you never stop learning just because you've done a course doesn't mean that's it go to seminars you know go for improver days you know go to breed specials and dog shows learn more so to actually see that light flicker i mean i had one lady a year ago and she was given so many steps to this grooming schedule that she was saying it was taking her three, four hours to groom a dog. And it broke my heart because she's, you know, a mature lady. She's thinking of giving it up because her body wasn't coping. I spent uh, a week with me and then she's like, oh my God, I've got a dog done in an hour and 45 minutes, two hours. Yeah, you know, that's I, nice. I could, yeah. I could actually either get more dogs or finish early and spend time with the grandchildren. That's what life's about. You know, it's not about Yeah, standing, what do they say? Know, Work smarter, not harder? exactly you know you're not standing there in tears thinking how the hell am I going to cope with this dog you know and it's just simple techniques that and you know yourself you're an experienced groomer we've paid thousands over the years for training for equipment and we've made the mistakes so if we can prevent other people from doing that and teach them the right way then you know all's good you know it really it really makes my heart filled with joy when I see somebody go out and send me a picture back saying I did this dog in half the time and I'm like oh, my oh God. I think that's nice yeah 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 absolutely and now, quick pooch, perfect chat. Like, huge well done, obviously, on making it to the finals. You, you. so deserve to be there. How did you find the whole experience? And did you learn anything about yourself? I loved every minute of it. I mean, obviously, at first, I was cautious because we'd just come out of lockdown. And I think Manchester went into lockdown again, didn't, didn't well be Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or filming. So was it going ahead? Wasn't it going ahead? You know, I was worried about my animals at home because I've never really been away that much time, you know, from them. And mm. as you know, a lot of mine are elderly and rescued, so they need a lot of work. So I've got an amazing team that helped with the salon side of things and the animals, so I didn't have to worry about that. But the actual experience, it was amazing. I mean, I've done film work before, TV work, you know, over the years because we had BBC Pebble Mill around the corner from our salon years ago. So we were always called upon to do this, do that. Yeah. Um, and... The first episode was quite scary, not because of the cameras or anything. I think what what scared me was that we didn't know where anything was. So when the challenge started, <laughs> I was like, where my drives are even put in. So maybe we should have had like an hour or so beforehand or the day before to find out where everything was. But I loved everybody. I loved you. You know, Sharon was hilarious. I mean, I got on with her so well. I even ended up teaching a banger dancing, which I didn't show. Oh, um, amazing. I didn't even see that. Yeah, but... um. I, I couldn't have done it, Lucky. I would have, I would have completely embarrassed myself. I know. My I arms you, and my legs are too long. Yeah, I think you were going to have to leave the studio then. But no, I think what I've, what I've, the main thing I've taken away from this is friendship. I've made some really good friends, including yourself. Um, it's kind of proven to myself that I'm not just an average dog groomer because I've had no guidance. I was self-taught. Um, I did my 
in, and yes, I've done my ICMG, I'm a master groomer now, but that's all been the last five or six years. But before that, I've, I felt like a bumbling idiot, you know, just wandering about life, not aiming for anything. And and I think what sparked me was the first grooming competition I went to, I think it's Premier Groom. And I mm. thought, well, there's a world out there, you know, it's not just a, sh- a backstreet shop where we're grooming dogs. There's, there's actual, you know, a whole community out there. And I think that, that opened my eyes out sort of, competing etc but pooch perfect really showed me that you know if you're determined enough no matter what challenge is set in front of you just go for it 100 percent. you know yeah, you definitely don't... have formed like a family haven't you from all these yeah, relationships yeah. and tanya's actually she's like my little sister cheeky little sister <laughs> um but uh it was just so funny meeting her for the first time because we're in the hotel and i was vaping which i shouldn't be doing in the hotel as i came out of my room door and tammy was there by the lifts and she turned around looked at me horrified dropped her phone i'm like oh god because she had headphones i thought so you thought oh my goodness maybe she's a runner or something yeah 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 exactly or something (laughs) some some team members from poop so and uh it was quite funny we hit it off straight away i said um, hi, are you here for Pooch Bev? She goes, yeah, yeah, I, I'm Tanya. And then I really cracked myself. They're going to tell the director I've been smoking, well, vaping in the whole hallway and I'm going to get told off. But anyway, she looked just as surprised, but I didn't realise she was on the phone to Georgia. So she was thinking the same about me. She didn't know who I was. Yeah, I'm Tanya. One of the contestants said, oh, hi, I'm Lucky. She goes, who? Mm-hmm. And so it was so refreshing to meet somebody who's, you know, not afraid to say what they think. They didn't know who I was. And it was straight away we were like, right, we're buddies. So... Yeah. No. Tanya, Tanya's got some great banter as well though hasn't she oh yeah yeah but we, we did say you know it's kind of like watching the episodes we were quite funny at times and a lot of it's been edited out um and I don't think it'd be sort of family friendly either some of the things <laughs> said but we just bounced off each other there and if I don't think if I had her there for that first episode I wouldn't have been so relaxed she kind of made me feel at home comfortable and oh, then I was nice and then each episode after that, it was, I met somebody else that was fab and I met somebody else that was fab. And it was like a little family, even though it was competitive. And I remember story producers trying to pit us against each other. Like, come on, you want to beat so-and-so, don't you? And I'm like, well, no, I'm here for the ride. You know, the journey's amazing. Mm. And they all said, I can't believe how you lot stick together and won't dish the dirt on each other or say you want to beat so-and-so. And I'm like, well, this is the thing with groomers. I find that, you know, one minute we could be biting each other's heads off the next thing, right? We're a big, big solid wall. Nobody's yeah. going to get us. Yeah. So that that's a part. But the main thing I took away from that is I can be put in any situation I can groom. That's it. It could be the, you know, apocalypse at the end of the world. Give me a pair of scissors. I'll still groom. Yeah. <laughs> so... That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, you're probably used to um, running a busy salon, you're training people, you know, you've got dogs around you, you've got your dogs, there's somebody ringing on the phone, there's someone coming into your reception, all the while you've got to trim a dog. Yes, this is it. And this is it. When we were auditioning, uh, I think it was Shauna who said, who auditioned me with the, the group dog I groomed. She goes, are you okay with me filming while you groom? I said, you can be having a disco in the background. I'll still yeah, groom the dog. I need to get this dog done. <laughs> and I think that's what was so beautiful about the set it was designed as mini salons and that really made me feel at ease mm. I think it was just like a big open studio with like the bake-off you know with tables everywhere yeah that would have been a bit more scary but you almost felt like you had your own little territory there you had your own little uh, corner didn't you yeah uh, I didn't realize that each episode they're going to move to a different pod but still you know it, they look the same they felt the same and I yeah. kind of felt with a wall against your back you do feel a bit more confident than an open yeah, air yeah I get that it rather than having loads of groomers behind you watching you exactly 
Now, you've got a menagerie of dogs, quite a menagerie. You've got rescue dogs, obviously pedigree dogs, doggy show. Tell me about your pack and how some of them came to you. Like, do they all get along? They all get on amazingly. Um, I mean, to add to that mix, there's cats, chickens, parrots, ferrets, mm. rabbits as well. So I think there's 80-something at the last count. So. Oh, my days. <laughs> Lucky. What time do you have to get up? This is it. That's why I only groom four days a week and that's three days off. So. Oh, um, my goodness. Well, the poodles, obviously, my love for poodles. I adopted one of my client's dogs, Cedric. I don't know if you remember, in the 17-year-old, my old mm-hmm. boy, who's be passed now oh, before yeah. that, i wouldn't groom poodles i hated poodles i had this attitude that poodles are snappy horrible handbag dogs that blue rinse ladies carried around and set up on young people so, <laughs> <laughs> and, and cedric was the epitome of that he was like that he was spoiled mm-hmm. and he belonged to mary mars and he was retired off to a pet home and he came to me as a client which is amazing and then he the owners passed away and then the daughter asked if i could take him on and i was like well, i don't want him you know, he bites me, he doesn't like me. And through that, I took him on and I thought, this little troubled soul has lost his family in his work. And that was it after that. I fell in love, even though it's a crotchety old thing. Uh, so that's what got me into poodles and showing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I've got four Dachshunds, smooth-haired miniature Dachshunds. Mm-hmm. They're close to my heart. You know, I've had them for years. I wanted a little dog. Because I always brought up around Dobermans, Rotties, great big, you know, Afghans, Rhodesian Ridgebacks. So one of my first little dogs was a little Dachshund, miniature Dachshund, who's not no longer with us. And she was a pocket rocket. I mean, she would nail the Rhodesian just like that. <laughs> in place. So and I they, have, and they have quite a bark as well, don't they? Goodness me. Oh, Cecil, he's a nightmare. You can't take the vets. I remember once my car was in MIT and we took a black cab taxi halfway down. And he actually stopped the taxi and said, could you please leave? so but i've had a lot of rescues as well with loads of back issues so i've got two at the moment that have just come out of wheelchairs and they're running up since i moved to this new property they they've been um running around on the grass which has given them more strength so they're without the wheelchairs now they're gaining strength but it's kind of end of an era yeah i won't take any more on because you know with all the operations and everything it was too much um and then i've got uh, little George who's my little Daxy Doodle who was an accident happy accident he <laughs> went away and he must have got to uh, Walter my toy poodle must have got to my Daxon bitch while we were away and nothing of it and then three weeks later I'm thinking <gasps> he looks a bit big oh, no. uh, she was quite old so I talked to the vets about maybe aborting this that and the other and they said well the risk you know of spaying a bitch while she's mm. nearly full term so we started to go with it she had to have a cesarean yeah um, she didn't take the puppy, so I had to hand rear them. So oh, Fred took wow. sadly passed away, and then George stayed. I couldn't bet. He's literally my shadow. She had I, two, did she? Yeah, uh, uh, she had three. One because I had to hand rear them. Oh, one yeah. passed away. One boy passed away in the first week, mm. and then a friend of a friend had the the, the little bitch, and mm. then George stayed. With and then I've got one of my ex's grandparents, Spitz, who. Uh, uh, constantly kept tripping her up so that ended up staying temporarily and then never went she's bonnie um who else i've got i've got two chihuahuas one was from it's quite a sad story it was she was brought into me for an nail clip and she was emaciated literally skin and bones oh, and i there and then you're not having the dog back yeah. you either come to vets with me or i'd take her off you and what had happened basically they got a big thick collar on her with those um Diamante letterings. 
and it was so tight around the neck she couldn't swallow. Oh, so slowly moving away. So now, you know, she's got her hangovers, but she's here today. That's Cookie. And then the little Chihuahua, the, the full pedigree Chihuahua, he was a, a favourite client of mine. He always used to come weekend stay with me because she was a model. Mm. And she ended up in an abusive situation where she had to, she had to do a runner. I mean, she had a, uh, oh, basically, God. she turned up one night, literally her face smashed to pieces. She's a beautiful oh, lady. God. Yeah. And she said, basically, he'll kill the dog if you can't have him, you know. So she left him with me. And the beautiful story about that, I never heard from her then after that. And I was worried she might go back to him. Mm. But uh, she came about five years later to the old shop. And I recognised her straight away. And the first thing, oh, my God, she's come to collect prints, you know. I don't want to hand him back. So she goes, can I see him? She's got a lovely life now, recovered everything. That guy's out of life. And uh, I brought Prince down and I thought, oh, God, here we go. That's he's going to recognise mommy. But he just went to say hello and came running back to me. And I thought, yes. I said, you're not come to take him away. She says, no, no, I just wanted to make, you know, put my mind at peace. He's okay. He's happy. Oh, my gosh. These dogs can all really tell a tale. (laughs) Now, boasting time, tell me about your proudest moments. I would say pooch perfect, being a finalist in that. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was the biggest stage we've ever had, isn't it? Yeah. I honestly thought I was going to go out the first episode with Colin's reaction to that double coat because I literally panicked. I thought, you know what, we say it's the easiest breed, but it's a bath and brush out realistically. But uh, when I saw River, I'm just so glad I wore my Tenement that day. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought, yikes. But, you know, having Shepherds all my life, you know, the first sort of 20 years, you know, taught me how to deal with a coat like that it was just so much of it in the time scale you know mm-hmm. and one one good thing that's come of it i'm in touch with the owners of the, um river and a sister mm-hmm. and the hope to bring them to me for grooming because they're only 20 minutes up the road which is amazing Fab. so perfect um i think uh the grooming conference where i got up a company speaker i never thought i'd achieve something like that but one i think one of my proudest moments was um getting best in show at super groom Mm. literally 10 days after my heart attack after surgery um i think everybody turned white when i turned up at that competition oh my goodness lucky <laughs> yeah. what i just well they told me i had to have so many weeks off or so many months off and i thought i can't do this i've, I've entered so i messaged kelly davis who was the organizer and said can i just enter the one dog now rather than the two and that's fine and i think as i walked in with them denise west for everybody they went white they were like does anybody know cpr <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it was, it was to prove to myself I can do this. You know, nothing's going to stop me. So, and at the time I thought that's it. That's me retired when I got that. But a little voice in the head says, "Keep, you know, keep pushing, keep going, do this, do that." So, you know, I'm very, very changeable in my mind. But you know, that was one of the proudest moments. I think I was crying. The judges were crying. The audience mm-hmm. were crying. So, no, I love that. That was that was amazing. Amazing. Now, finally, what's next for you, Lackey? Any goals, ambitions? What are you up to in 2021 and obviously in 2022? I think the main goal is to find a husband. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would will, um, will whistle, but I can't. <laughs> um, and concentrate on my teaching. I mean, I've, I think lockdowns changed a lot of people. I've really found myself really have found myself and I love myself I love this house you know it's been a big mission getting here really mm-hmm. has and I want to enjoy it so a refurb's on the cards in the next few months um I want to enjoy my time with my family it's more 
personal than it is professional because professional wise I've achieved most things I want to I want to concentrate on my training and my teachings competitions showing yes maybe the odd one here and there but it's not a life goal anymore um I think it's made me appreciate the people around me who you know looked after me so my my main goals in the future get this house as I want it enjoy it and finally have that blooming house warm we parked that I've been promising everybody for the last two years <laughs> uh, um but no you know there's a there's a few little things along the pipeline um mm-hmm. obviously the online competition we did the great british groom off yeah you're gonna, gonna you're gonna take it to a real event next year aren't you yes and it's gonna be a comp with a difference it's all about the competitors judges you know the audience it, it's it's about looking after people with my sort of seek background you know it's not money's not an object, but it's not about the money. It's about making sure everybody has a good time, everybody's fed, everybody's watered. You know, there's a great atmosphere. So we're really looking forward to that event. And hopefully it's going to be around about November 2022. Ah, when we finally- how exciting. So in this episode's Breed Focus, we are talking all things, can you guess, Afghan Hound. <laughs> the Afghan Hound is a sight hound from the area of Afghanistan. It's much argued that they could actually be, in fact, one of the oldest pure breeds that are alive today. An ancient myth even says that they were the brace of dogs, were the Afghan Hounds that represented the canine species on Noah's Ark. Because the breed predates written history, their true origin is unknown, but it's thought to be developed in the vast area that is now Afghanistan, India and Pakistan. But we'll never really truly be sure. They are characterised obviously by their beautiful silky long coat that serves to protect them in the rugged mountains that can actually be extremely cold where they originated. They're built for explosions of speed and were used to hunt leopards no less. With their bravery and loyalty to the owners, do they actually make good choices as a breed to own? I think that they're absolutely stunning, but they were once labelled the least intelligent dog of all breeds. Now, is this true, Lucky? Have they got tumbleweed between their ears? This this really gets my coat. I mean, they are one of the most intelligent breeds. Have you heard this before? I've heard this loads of times. All the time, all the time. They're dumb blondes and, you know, they're they're all about looks. and And I mean, for goodness sake... I mean, they were designed to hunt on their own initiative. You know, mm. they'd go up into, like you said, they can do the flats of the deserts, you know, and work all day. Uh, they can jump from cliff to cliff after a leopard, corner a leopard, or they can hunt something as small as a hare, but they could turn on a sixpence, you know. It was literally, if you look at their joints, a clipped off Afghan, it's a lot heavier built than a Saluki or a Greyhound. Right. Uh, that lessens a chance of any bone breakages, you know, they, they, you know, with a Saluki and Afghan full tilt, if they suddenly decided to turn, mm. they bed like a gazelle, they tumble. But now, so they were obviously built more for all terrain. All, all terrain. And if you look, I mean, the original sort of Afghans were called the Tazi Hounds, T A Z I. So if you Google that and have a look at them, they look nothing like the Afghans of today. Basically, yeah. look like Collie Lurcher sort of greyhound crosses. And they had a thick covering of hair around their front pasterns, around their ribs. They had fluffy spaniel-like ears, spaniel wigs, but the rest of them were fairly bare, you know, front mm. of them. So it almost looks like if you cross an Afghan with a working spaniel. Um, and they're quite short. They weren't as elegant as these dogs. Um, but from there, you know, I mean, they've been brought over since the 1800s. Soldiers who, who were in Afghan, you know, Afghanistan brought, the odd specimen over that were in India during the British Raj, but nobody took any notice of them because in those 
areas, each town village had their own variation of those hounds. Yeah, they they did. It's like the, the um, Silk Road dogs, aren't they? This, this is it. And, uh, you know, the ones, the desert hunting ones are more sluky like mm-hmm. um, The ones in the mountainous regions were a lot stockier. Um, but it was really Mary Amps in sort of around about 1925 that brought the first ones over to the uh, UK, England to sort of define the breed. And, you know, there's rumours that, you know, during the years, you know, setters were used, other breeds were used to get that beautiful, elegant coat. Uh, but mostly, I think it's just coat care because obviously, you know, the coats got damaged, they got matted, mats ripped off while they're running around in undergrowth. Um, whereas now that we shampoo and condition them and everything, you know, we maintain that coat, it grows longer and longer. Yeah. Um, they they did have a reputation on the 70s and 80s, but they were very popular with temperaments. Yeah, and I, I remember as a child going to Crofts, going through the Afghan hound sort of benching area, and they'd be lunging out at me. But uh, you know, I was a lot a of that's brave... probably being bred out of them now. Yeah, I was I was a brave little chubby kid in those days. And I thought, right, you know, <laughs> I still want one of you. Um, but no, they they are the most amazing pets. I mean, if you like cats, you'd love Afghans because they are loyal to you. I mean, they will love you to death but also you could come back from a shopping spree or holiday and they won't look up will they not look up say oh it's you is dinner ready and then put their head down so but intelligence wise i mean i i've never met a a dumb afghan they basically reserve their energy for when it's necessary so you Mm -hmm. throw a ball they're looking at it think why why should i go and fetch you fetch it for me you know i don't want to go trotting after a ball now you know that sounds quite greyhound like though that doesn't it this is it. Um, I mean, I've seen them trained to agility. I mean, there's a famous video about that dog that did agility. It was hilarious. But, you know, fair play to the owner who managed to train it to weave poles. I mean, it went wow. a bit after a few minutes. But um, they are, and what people don't realise, they are quite good guard dogs. You know, they're elegant, they're beautiful. But, I mean, the breed standard itself says, you know, they've got aloofness and a keen fierceness about yes. them. Yes, yeah. You know, they look all the way through you. You know, they don't look at you. They look through yeah, you. Yeah, they say it's almost look like they're looking into history. This is it. I mean, it's their expressions. Absolute nothing phases them. If they're brought up correctly, nothing. I mean, my girl Bridget was just one on her own. I could let her cross a lead. We'd had our parrots out. The parrots come and sit on her head. You oh, know, all- what a girl. We had cats and rabbits, you know. So if they're yeah. brought up they can be let off the lead you know they can be trained properly mm-hmm. you know you you would never chastise them because it crushes them it literally will you yeah. can see it in their hearts mm-hmm. um but as family pets i would say do a lot of research get in touch with a reptile breeder who's going to have your back all the way through and listen to all the advice given but the main thing is get them used to being groomed from an early age because it's a two-weekly process with a professional groomer with you maybe bathing and blow drying in between once a week that's such great advice lucky now, famous Afghan owners throughout history include Salvador Dali, Marianne Faithful, and Pablo Picasso. Now we're near the end of episode 10. We're going to round things off with a quick fire round. So I ask everybody these questions. I want really quick one to two word answers and no bull lackey. So are you ready? Um, I sure am. <laughs> so number one, dog food of choice. I feed raw mainly, but if I do have to go with um, a pre-prepared food, it's usually fourth grade. Favourite place to walk? Country parks. Beautiful. Number of dogs under your roof? Give you a minute. <laughs> Eleven. 
<laughs> now then, if you were a dog, what breed would you be? I think same as in Pooch Perfect, uh, a uh, golden retriever. Oh, I love a retriever. <laughs> Such amazing family dogs. Favorite holiday destination? Sweden. Oh, yes. Your worst nightmare dog breed to own? Just one. <laughs> Funny enough, it's not an, uh, a bad one. Uh, I'd say the British <laughs> Bulldog. British Bulldog. Now, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me, Lucky. We would be absolutely delighted if you gave us both a follow on Instagram. Lucky is at Lucky Scissorhands. And you can also get in touch with him regarding all his training. And I'm at Verity Hardcastle. Now, a big thank you to Natural Instinct for sponsoring Pod on the Dog. My dogs are powered by Natural Instinct and they are thriving. They even do a puppy food, which my newest member of the family, Gigi, is totally mad for already. So to receive your 15% off, head over to their website and apply code Verity15. Now, thank you everybody for listening. Please don't forget to rate and subscribe to Pod on the Dog. Much love!